are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. My name's Patricia Trena. It is a Twitter Thursday. Your questions take the spotlight. And again, thank you for the wonderful questions. We have a couple of newcomers to the regular rotation, and I'm excited to welcome all those who are new, who are participating in the Twitter, the weekly Twitter mailbag uh, for the first time. So let's jump right in with your questions. We're going to start off with at M. Weissall, who wants to know, uh, I'm still confused about the D-line. When Snacks was traded, everyone said that it would allow Dalvin Tomlinson to return to his natural position of the three-tech. I think actually you mean the one-tech, not the three-tech. Um, with Dexter Lawrence slated for nose tackle, where does that leave Tomlinson? Defensive end. Um, Mark, the the I think the plan is they're going to rotate those guys, actually. I think Dexter Lawrence is going to play the nose or the one tech is what you were trying to say. And just to put it in more, in simpler terms, there's a plugger, which is a, you know, a big guy who takes up, you know, multiple lanes and multiple blockers. And then there are the penetrators, which is more like what Tomlinson and, and BJ Hill are doing. So um, I think what the plan is, you're probably going to see Tomlinson and Hill as your defensive ends and Dexter Lawrence will be probably the man in the middle in the base three, uh, the base three, four. However, remember that the Giants are in nickel probably over 60% of the time. So they will line up in a four, three in that instance um, when they are in nickel. So when that happens, you'll probably see uh, Lawrence be the one tech as opposed to the zero tech, still playing that role of the plugger. And then you'll see maybe um, Dalvin Tomlinson move in as the three tech. And you could see potentially, um, or, or, or you, rather not Dalvin Thompson, rather uh, B.J. Hill as the uh, the three tech. And, you know, just have everybody line up uh, accordingly to the four three. So that's how I think it's going to fall into place. And uh, we'll see, you know, if, if uh, you know, the switch back allows Tomlinson to, to better perform. Next question comes from Zanville 18. Why hasn't Daniel Jones signed his rookie deal yet? What are they waiting for? There's time. There's no rush to get it done. Look, Daniel's in, in camp. Um, you know, he's, I'm sure they'll get it done before the start of training camp. Um, sometimes there's, you know, the holdup is with the offset language. Sometimes the holdup could just be, you know, agents are on vacation or wherever because they know that eventually these rookie deals are going to get done. I wouldn't sweat the fact that, you know, Daniel Jones isn't signed. You know, none of the first round draft picks are signed from what I, I remember. So I just, you know, I wouldn't sweat it. It'll get done. Next question comes via mail from John H. Wants to know when does training camp start? John, they haven't announced it yet. But typically, uh, the way it works is if you count 14 days backwards from the first preseason game, that'll give you a rough idea as to when tr the start of training camp is. Now, a coach can start it later, but they cannot start it earlier than that 14-day window. So 
Um, I don't have the date in front of me, but if you look at when the first preseason game is, count back four day, uh, 14 days, and you'll have a rough idea as to when that's going to, um, when the start of training camp will be. Ramesh Chandra wants to know, how's the defense looking so far and who, who are the primary rushers? Um, Ramesh, the defense to me looks like it's playing fast. It's flying around. There's a lot of great energy. I mean, the defense is secondary to me has just been in the stars of the OTA so far. They just, i am just been very impressed with, you know, the job they've done, how Jabril Peppers and Antoine Bethe have come together and united that. And, you know, they've gotten everybody lined up. They've, you know, there's no blown assignments, just, just a lot of plays being made by that defense and that defensive secondary. Um, as far as the rushers right now, the first team rushers are um, Lorenzo Carter and Marcus Golden are the first team rushers. The second team rushers are X-Man O'Shane Zimenez and uh, Kareem Martin has been rotating in there as well at the second team. Next question comes from Thomas Amato 7. With so much draft capital put towards cornerback this offseason, do you think Grant Haley has a shot to make the final roster? And who do you think could be squeezed out? Thomas, Grant Haley is going to compete for the nickel spot. Um, he's going to compete probably with Julian Love for that nickel spot. Um, I think you have to remember that one of the cornerbacks that they drafted, Corey Ballantine, um, he's a guy who can also play inside at safety. So it's conceivable that, you know, maybe he's not, you know, maybe cornerback is not necessarily in his future, but maybe free safety is. Because you've got to remember, you know, uh, Antoine Bethea, I think, is signed for two years. I think Michael Thomas was signed for two years. This would be year number two of his deal. Ultimately, you're going to want to get younger at that position. So I would not be stunned if that's what the plan is, um, you know, down the line. But as far as who gets squeezed out, um, right now it's an open competition. And I I think barring, you know, a disaster, all three of those cornerbacks, or I should say defensive backs, are going to make the roster. Next question comes from Mega Giants 89 Wants to know if I have any stories from either of the Giants' last two playoff runs. Oh my gosh, do I have any stories? I have so many stories. It's it, it's it's incredible. Um I don't know if you mean behind the scenes stories or, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly what type of stories you're looking for. I have both and then I have some stories that I, you know, I unfortunately cannot repeat on the air. But um I will say this. Um the first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 42, is one that I remember and hold closer to my heart a little bit more than the last one, which was, I think, 46. And the reason for that is Super Bowl 46, I was just coming off of cancer treatments. I had just finished chemo literally a couple months earlier. So that one was not a good one for me because physically, you know, I just didn't have the energy that I, I needed to run around. I also up. I also ended up getting very sick while I was out in Indianapolis. I remember having a high fever when I had to fly home. Uh, I remember we had to drive, you know, from Indianapolis to the Cincinnati airport and I had a high fever and I just thanked the good Lord that my husband was with me because otherwise I probably would have gotten on a plane for Timbuktu or something like that and not made it home. But um, Super Bowl, um, Super Bowl 42 Oh gosh, there are just so many stories. I don't know where to begin. Um, I I guess 
it's not really, a, I'm sure that you're not going to find this interesting, but I know what I did was um, they had boots, like curtained off boots, booths in the uh, the media center. And uh, I used to find one of those empty uh, curtain boots and I used to sit there and I used to knock out all my stuff. And I, I was just amazed. I, I can remember starting, you know, going there on, on a, I think it was a Saturday and just knocking off everything. And, and I was amazed at how many words I had written. I think I wrote more words that week than I had, than I wrote in a season. But I think what I remember most about the Super Bowl, that first Super Bowl is, you know, when my, my family came out, uh, my husband came out on a Friday, my mother-in-law had already been out there. And I remember, you know, just getting together with them on Friday night and just, you know, we went to restaurants, we went to the NFL experience. Uh, I just remember that whole experience, you know, on the weekend. It was just nice quality family time, a nice way to kind of take a break after the really busy week. Um, so it, it was fun. And, you know, I, I always joke with my husband. I say, you had the best seat in the house that day. And it's true. He um, he got to sit in the, the family section, the Giants family section for that game. Whereas I sat in the media, the auxiliary media section and that was up in the suite level. It was um, actually the, 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 I guess it was the luxury uh, suite area. So that was like section, I want to say like a 400 or 500 in, in the stadium. Um, I'm not sure where my mother-in-law sat, but, you know, clearly my husband had the best seat in the house. And I was glad that he got it. I, you know, I really was. I didn't think he was going to get it. I was going to get a ticket for him. And when one came available, it was just very rewarding to me because, you know, he had always wanted to go to a game. He hadn't had an opportunity. It was something I had promised him if the Giants ever got back, you know, into the Super Bowl. I promised him that I would do everything possible to get him a ticket. And when one became available at face value, it was, you know, like I said that day, I said, you know, I can I can fly to Phoenix and, and be happy knowing that you've been taken care of. And he I think he had fre frequent flyer miles, too. So basically, his whole trip was for nothing except for the cost of the ticket, which, you know, I picked up. So, all right, you're listening to Locked on Giants with Patricia Trana. This is a Twitter Thursday. We're going to take our first break. Come back and answer more of your questions. Do stay with us. Welcome back, Giant fans, to Locked on Giants. You're with a Twitter Thursday, and I am Patricia Trade. I'm answering your questions. Thanks, as always, for the great questions, folks. Really appreciate it. The next question, all right, uh, next section comes from, uh, we'll start with John Spielman, who wants to know, with the number of new personnel to the defensive backfield, how many make the final, the 53 from the limited amount of time you have witnessed their activities? John, it's too soon to say. I've only seen two practices, two non-padded practices. So I don't know what these guys can do in press coverage. Um, the other thing to take into consideration is you've got to see what the injury situation looks like when final roster cutdown uh, date comes along. You know, if you have, let's say, two cornerbacks that are injured, Maybe you keep an extra one that you didn't previously plan on keeping, you know, and it, again, it all depends on, on, um, you know, the, the extent of the injury and who it's who and all that stuff. So really kind of too early to tell about, to talk about that. Um, let me take a look at what they, you know, what they do in, in, um, the, um, 
mandatory mini camp. Again, that's going to be non-contact, but at least I'll get three straight days of watching more of these kids. Um, and, and then really, you know, I'll be, once the pad goes on, um, I'll be able to tell a whole lot more. I know a lot of you guys ask me questions about how many do I think we'll keep? Who's going to win out the competition? I got to see full football in order to make that decision, you know, to make those, uh, guesses. Um, otherwise I'm just whistling in the dark and, you know me, guys, I'd rather have all the facts or as many of the facts as possible than to just throw out a random guess and, you know, get tongues wagging, you know, without having any um, evidence to support it. Okay, next question comes from Ron Swan, 3357 Haven't heard anything about Corey Coleman and OTAs. How's he looking? Ron, he did some uh, work with the first team. Um, he was uh, part of uh, the uh, first team offense in the first OTA. In this last one that we saw, Cody Latimer had uh, had replaced him. But I think it's pretty much a competition at this point. So it's not necessarily that Coleman's going to be the the first you know the first man up at that number three receiver. Um, they're having a competition, and um, from what I remember from the first OTA. Coleman had a had a decent practice. I remember him making some plays. I think he, you know, even in this most recent practice, OTA number five, which was uh, closed to the media, I believe he was actually one of the the Giants.com players of the um, of of the practice uh, nominees. But um, but yeah, the big thing with Corey Coleman is he needs to demonstrate that he has a better understanding of the playbook and just play a little bit faster than he did last year. You know, he's got the size. He's got the talent. I think he could be a real asset in the offense, but, you know, he's got to really put in the time and show that he's got all the classroom and the mental aspect of it down to a science before I think he gets that opportunity, or I should say earns that opportunity. This next one comes from MamaGen03, who asked me for my thoughts on an article that appeared in uh, NewJersey.com. It was an article about former giant Leonard Marshall, who is... um, uh, having some health issues that um, are, are I guess, consistent with early signs of CTE, you know, the, the unfortunate disease that, that a lot of NFL players are, are, you know, being discovered with from, you know, repeated head trauma. And um, Jen, I'll just, I'll just say this much. Um, having a parent who is going through memory issues and, and, and you know, dementia, uh, not, you know, because of, of, you know, head trauma, mind you, but just having somebody go through that in my family, that is very, very difficult to deal with. It's, it's hard to see, you know, it, 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 it hurts you when you go, when you see that person and, and they look at you and they, they don't remember your name or who you are. Um, it also hurts when you see them engage in, you know, behavior that's just not, you know, that you're not, uh, you don't remember them ever engaging in, but you know it's all part of the disease, and unfortunately, you know there's just not much that can be done to combat um, dementia and Alzheimer's. With regards to Leonard Marshall, um, I had the the pleasure of interviewing Leonard Marshall recently for a book I'm writing on the Giants, and he could not have been sweeter. I mean, the, he was just an absolute joy. We spent a good hour and a half, you know, reminiscing about his days as a giant, um, told some wonderful stories. He spoke about, you know, his health. He spoke about, um, 
you know, his disappointment that he hasn't been uh, inducted into the Giants Ring of Honor. And I'll tell you what, the media doesn't get a vote in this. I think that's a decision that's made internally um, by the Giants management. But I sure hope he, he gets in. I really do. I mean, Leonard Marshall was a tremendous player for the Giants. He gave everything he had. Um, he, he was responsible for helping them win, you know, during their glory years, you know, definitely help them with, with, with the Super Bowls. Um, he belongs in the ring of honor and, you know, I, I can't see any reason to keep him out. I mean, there, to me, there's no, you know, I don't know how the giants work it. I, but I, I can't imagine they have a limit on the number of guys they can induct in any one year. And I would hope that Leonard gets in you know, sooner than later, and preferably while he's still alive, because I know it would mean the world to him. And, you know, again, having gotten to know him, you know, it, it would just be a wonderful, wonderful uh, sight to behold. And it would be an honor to cover that um, if he does indeed get in. So, you know, as far as his health issues, you know, I, I just, and any of any of those former NFL players who are going through that, it, it, it's tough. Again, I have a parent who's going through memory issues and, you know, uh, the signs of, you know, the brain shrinking and just not operating the way it should be. And uh, I don't wish that on anybody, you know, unfortunately, it's part of life. And, and, um, you know, you, you just keep your fingers crossed that modern day science is going to find some kind of cure for all those folks, so that they can have a better quality of life. Okay, next question comes from Empire PR man who returns back to a question he asked previously, did you get a better chance to evaluate the linebackers, especially with their skills covering running backs and tight ends? Um, yeah, I mean, I liked Ryan Connolly. I thought he popped out at me uh, with his play. I also thought that uh, Ty Davis working as the nickel uh, inside linebacker looked good. He looked active. Um, the edge rushers, uh, O'Shane, Ximenez, X-Man, coming off that edge. He's got such a quick burst and a first step. I mean, at times I thought I was looking at a young OCU Benura. That's how quick he was, you know, exploding off the ball there. And Marcus Golden, he just brings such a an energy to that linebacker unit. I mean, that man, you know, he spoke about, you know, wanting to go hunting now that he's with the Giants linebackers, you know, just going after ball carriers and whatnot. And he really, you know, he plays with a mission. He is a man on a mission. So, uh, so far looks so good. But again, you know, you're going to keep hearing me say it. It practices are run at half speed. Can't tell a whole lot at this point, but I'm certainly encouraged so far from what I've seen. All right. Next up is Mr. Too Nasty. First timer to the program. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for participating and for the Twitter follow. Um, so Mr. Two wants to know, first, uh, let's see, it's too early to tell without pads, but what are you seeing from John Jalapio and Spencer Pulley, and who would you like to see win the job and why? You know what? Um, I would say at this point, it looks like the job, the, the competition is even because you're right. You know, you can't tell with offensive linemen. You can't tell until the pads go on. I can tell you that Spencer Pulley um, did add some bulk to his frame. So, you know, if size was a concern before, I don't know that size is a concern now. Um, I like the fact that Jalapio is just, 
he's a little bulldog out there, and I and I mean that in a good way. You know, he's he, he's as sweet and as kind off the field, but when he's on that field, man, you don't want to get in his way because he will absolutely, you know, blow you off the ball and move you out of the way. Uh, so as far as who I want to see win the, the competition, that's up in the air. I mean, you know, I don't want to play favorites or anything like that. I want to, I want to see each guy with the pads on do his thing. But, you know, I, I think any advantage that Jalapio had in terms of size, I think Spencer Pulley, you know, thanks to the off season that he had, I think he erased that and has looked, um, you know, he's looked good. You know, he's looked active. The thing that, you know, continues to concern me a little bit about him is that, and, and this is, by the way, something that we saw last year, so I'm not really saying anything new here, but he wears a, a, a brace on his leg, like a knee brace. So I don't know what exactly that's for. I don't think that necessarily, you know, affects him when he's, you know, staying in a phone booth. But if they ever ask him to pull, which I don't think they, I don't remember them doing a whole lot last year, but if they ever want to get mobility out of the center, I, I just wonder how much of an effect that would be. So, um, so yeah, uh, uh, right now that competition is neck and neck. It's not like last year where, you know, everybody thought, oh, you know, Jalapio was getting a look because the Giants knew what they had and Brett Jones, you know, just by the mere fact that the Giants are alternating right now, it tells me that they still haven't quite decided which direction they're going to go in and nor should they until they get the pads on this summer. You're listening to Locked on Giants with Patricia Trena. It is a Twitter Thursday. We're going to take our final break, come back and wrap it up with a few more of your questions. So stay with us. Welcome back, folks, to Locked on Giants, part of the Locked on Podcast family, your team every day. You're with Patricia Trena. We are doing a Twitter Thursday. Hope you're enjoying the mailbag. Hope you're getting ready for the weekend. Going to enjoy that as well. All right. So let's continue with your questions in this segment three. And we'll start off with NYGP, who wants to know what does the starting linebacker group look like as of right now? And is there anything that you've noticed so far that would lead you to think that might change? Um, Pete, right now, my, my projection is Lorenzo Carter, Marcus Golden on the edge, Alec Ogletree, B.J. Goodson inside, and Ty Davis will replace Goodson in the nickel. Now, I also think in certain packages, you might see uh, O'Shane Zimenez. Um, I'm not sure exactly if they're going to use him as strictly a, a you know a, a down lineman with his hand in the dirt or if they're going to stand him up. But, um, you know, if we're talking strict linebackers in the 3-4 in the, in the starting group, that's that's my group that I will go with. All right, next question comes from the Black Shirt Zero, who asks, on a scale of 1 to 10, how warranted is the Giants' current status as national sports media laughingstock? They seem to be the new pre-2019 Browns, an easy punchline. Um, ben, I am going to say that the Giants don't deserve to be the national punchline. I think those people who are making them into the punchline are, you know, the national media and the talk show hosts and whatnot who have never set foot in the locker room, who have never really talked to the players or the coaches or, or to general manager Dave Gettleman. Um, you know, look, when you're there covering a team every day, 
you kind of take a different perspective. You know, you, you, you start to understand things and why things are and, you know, why things are going the way they are and, and the thinking behind it. And really, it's not that difficult. If you stop and you think about it, a lot of people, you know, they have their own, you know, intelligence to figure things out. They don't need to be force fed or spoon fed, you know, dribble from people who just don't go into the locker room and who don't talk to people in the organization. I mean, look, anybody can sit and have an opinion and they're entitled to an opinion. But there's such a thing as an informed opinion. And then there's just, you know, an opinion that's based on air. And, you know, I, I just think that, you know, if you look at things objectively and you try to look at things from the Giants perspective, you see what they're trying to do. Now, do you necessarily agree with everything they're trying to do? No, you don't. But to say that they're a laughing stock, I mean, that that's just too extreme. Now, I mean, I could give you an example, you know, let's take Landon Collins, for example, terrific young guy, you know, I hated to see him go, he was always, you know, a class act, always professional. But if you look at the reason why they let him walk away, they weren't willing to franchise tag him for 11.15 million. So what on earth made anybody think that they were going to come close to matching the type of contract that Washington gave him, which pays him an average of 14 million a year? I mean, come on, guys. If they weren't going to, you know, if, if Collins wasn't worth the 11.1, you know, there was no way the Giants were going to pay 14 point whatever, you know, to keep him. It just wasn't going to happen. So, you know, they decided to, to let him walk. And they in, in the meantime, they had Jabril Peppers, who they got in the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. And so far, so good with, you know, Jabril Peppers. He's coming along well. You know, he's taking to that defense and he's really, you know, opening up a few eyes. You know, you look at the Odell Beckham Jr. trade, which I know a lot of people were very upset with and surprised with. And I think in that instance, you know, everybody makes a big deal of, Oh, Gettleman said he didn't sign him to trade him. You know, and what people forget there is that Gettleman never flat out denied that, he, you know, he wasn't going to trade Odell. He was simply saying, look, my intention is not to trade him. I didn't sign him with the intention of trading him. You know, it's kind of like if I say, okay, I didn't put my blue shirt on to have my picture taken. But, you know, who knows? Maybe I end up in a camera shot and I have my blue shirt on. It could happen. You know, maybe the moment is right or the, you know, the, the, the circumstances are right. So that's what I think happened there. Now, do I agree with the trade? Yes and no. I mean, you know, look, you're not going to replace Odell Beckham Jr.'s talent. He was, he, he's a generational talent. But you can, however, try to replace the production. And the way you, you, you replace that production is by spreading the ball around. I mean, for all the times we sat there and we screamed about how the offense was so predictable, how everybody in the building knew that Odell was going to get the ball. And so the defenses were able to double up on him. You know, now they can't do that anymore because you don't know where the ball's going to go. You don't know who's going to be the featured, you know, receiver out of the backfield uh, or, or the featured, you know, wide receiver or the featured tight end that particular week. So you got to look at the other side of the coin. And that's what I talk about when, when I, when I say, you know, you've got to, you know, put yourself in their shoes. I know it's hard. I know fans have, you know, emotional attachments and appreciations to players. I get it. But you know, if you're talking from an objective perspective, you have to kind of put yourself in their shoes. Now, 
again, there are some situations that they do that just don't make sense. You know, the Jonathan Stewart contract paying as much as they did. That one I won't get. I'll never get that one. I understand what the purpose was, what they were trying to do. I just don't understand why they, they overpaid the way they did. But, you know, that's all water under the bridge right now. So um, hopefully that answers your question. Um, I, I don't think that it's fair that Giants should be a, a laughing stock. But you know what? Everybody's going to have their opinion. They're entitled to it. And that's fine. You know, that's that's how the world is, goes around. Next question comes from Lucky Devil 713 What are the chances that Janoris Jenkins gets beaten out by midseason? Beal is getting a lot of buzz. Baker is a first-rounder, and Jenkins has been up and down for two seasons now. You know, that's an interesting question and one I've thought of. Um, I would say if Jenkins gets off to a slow start, I could see him, you know, ultimately being phased out of that defense because you're right. They're going to want to get Baker in there. They're going to, you know, they're going to want Sam Beal in there. And those two kids are are the future starting outside quarterbacks, I think. Um, but if Jenkins is having a good season, then I don't think he's going anywhere, if I'm being honest with you. I just don't see it. And nor should he, you know. I he, he He's very enthusiastic. He's talking about, you know, um, how he thinks he's going to have a good year. And, hey, it would behoove him and the Giants if he does have a good year. And and uh, we'll see, you know, if, if he's able to, to bounce back to his 2016 form. All right, next question comes from Jason5611, who says, uh, you may need to do some research for this question. Did Betcher run a 3-4 defense most more than a 4-3 in his first year and was that because he lacked the pieces needed to play his preferred defense um you're right I do have to research that a little bit more but I will say this um I do remember seeing a statistic that the Giants were in nickel over 60 percent of the time at which point they would be more in a 4-3 than a 3-4 so you know if you're just talking non-nickel yeah, I have to go see if I can get that number. I think Pro Football Focus would have that number. So I'll see if I can find that for you um, and, and, and get that information in a future, you know, podcast, if you remind me. Um, but off the top of my head, you know, that's 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 what I kind of remember. Okay, next question comes from Three Zustris. I hope I said that right. And he asks... Uh, have Baker and Beal taken any reps at slot this year, or do you think the Giants view them as both outside guys? They're outside guys right now. I think your slot guys are going to be Julian Love versus Grant Haley. That's that's what you're looking at in the slot. You might see one of those, you know, Baker and Beal in, in the slot on occasion, but not on a consistent basis. I don't see that happening. Um, and then finally, we have a question from Kush Ambassador wants to know lacking an experienced elite pass rusher it doesn't mean the Giants won't be able to get to the quarterback and identify that elite rusher who do you think will become that elite pass rusher um that one hmm if you're asking me you know who will lead the Giants in sacks um that's a tough one and I say that's a tough one because again I've only seen two OTAs and um, you know been limited sight lines so I, I just haven't seen all the the uh, you know the, the possibilities or, or nor do I know what James Betcher is going to keep and what he's going to toss out so I might be able to better answer that one 
after a week or so of training camp. But with that said, I, I have a feeling that, you know, the pass rushers, the sack numbers are going to be pretty close to one another. In other words, you might see Lorenzo Carter, uh, Marcus Golden, uh, O'Shane Zimenez, uh, B.J. Hill. You might see them all separated by maybe a sack or a half a sack. I don't think you're going to see a guy necessarily run away with the sack title you know like like for example you know like a few years ago when JPP had 12 and a half and I think um, the nearest guy to him was was something like six and a half or something like that so I don't think it's going to be a runway winner but with that said I would say keep an eye on Marcus Golden so far he's looked very uh, spry he's looked very active doesn't look like he has you know, any any signs of having been injured before. And uh, I think he's going to have a, um, if he's healthy and stays healthy, I think he's going to have himself a really good prove-it year. I'm very optimistic by what I have seen from him as I have, as I am um, with what I've seen from, from uh, Lorenzo Carter and the few snaps that I've seen him rush the passer. And as I've said before, I really, really like uh, what O'Shane Zimenez brings to the table. So he's going to be someone to keep an eye on as well. All right, Giant fans, that wraps up today's Twitter Thursday. want to thank everybody for the questions. They were tremendous as always. You guys never fail to, to disappoint. Uh, make sure you stay tuned for more on Locked on Giants. We'll have a show for you probably tomorrow. Um, we'll have a show for you on Monday to kind of get you set ready for next week's um mandatory mini camp so lots more still to come appreciate you listening and we will talk to you again soon take care